Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't, the conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and joining me today is Krista Bear who coaches women who want more from life and business. Her clients increase their income 10K or more while also increasing their impact. So they confidently say no in business, stop overgiving and giving and giving and giving and find greater peace and happiness in and out of the office. Krista is also the founder of She Goes High, a 1600 plus introvert friendly member women's leadership community in Northern Colorado. She Goes High hosts more than 30 events a year to support women leaders in taking up their space in the world and leaving their legacy. Her book, Beautiful Badass, How to Believe in Yourself Against the Ads, shares stories and lessons from overcoming poverty and depression in this guide for women who want to take command of their destinies and no longer fall prey to the hardships and setbacks that previously defined them. So grateful to have you here. Thank you so much for making time. So glad I've connected with you. Yes, I am super excited to be here too, because when we connected before, we talked so much about mental health and that's such an important topic that it is one of my values and kind of my mission to get out there more. And I know that's one of the things we're going to touch on today. So yes, let's do this. I know that I have more than a Colorado audience. We connected because I've been in Northern Colorado. When I moved here, I started focusing on business, business, business to survive and stay afloat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I decided it's a little bit time for me to think about meeting friends and establishing my roots and starting my life out here. Um, and even though She Goes High is a business networking community. There's something about it that's different. I've seen it and seen it and seen it. And so I joined. And honestly, within minutes, it really has changed my life. And so I love you. I love it. It's amazing. It's different. If anybody's coming to Northern Colorado, um, it's not like others. Well, I'm so thrilled that that has been your experience because that's what I was trying to create when I started the community was something that is really different than what already exists out there. Um, My experience as being a woman in this world is that it's difficult to take up my space uh, all the time in all the different scenarios and all the different places, Uh, you know, growing up. As girls, so many of us receive so many mixed messages about who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to show up, you know, what's appropriate and inappropriate. And it's just become so hard to know how to just be who we are. And I got really tired in my life of trying to fit myself into different boxes, depending on the situation I was in or who I was around. And when I had started my coaching business about seven years ago, I just kept thinking to myself, you know, first of all, I'm tired of being in like sales mode all the time as a business owner. You know, I want a space where I'm connecting with other women leaders that isn't like sales oriented or sales focused. But also I was like, I just want to be able to practice taking up my space as a leader with all of my strengths and skills as me, not trying to pretend or perform to make people think of me in a certain way or to look a certain way or appear, you know, how I think 
people want me to be, but just actually being me. And people who know me know that's me. (laughs) Maybe that's why I love, maybe that's what connected with me, that there's no BS. It wasn't buy this, join here. I'm selling this. It really felt like you wanted just to connect people. And I joined a mastermind. I'm a big fan of groups. That was my immediately, the first thing I did. And I said, kind of here for social reasons, even though business matters, I'm at a different place. And the women are amazing. They, of course, started connecting me with business things and you immediately. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's another aspect of She Goes High that I feel like is so important that I want to put more of this message out into the world is that, you know, even as if we're business owners or we're leaders in a professional capacity or in a community capacity, we're also human beings. We're like a whole person. And I believe that how we create great leaders is that we support the whole person behind the leader and not just say, oh, you know, we're only going to support this part of you because we're never bringing just this part of us to any situation. We're bringing our whole selves and all of our experiences. And that's our strength. That's when we're in our power. That's when we are the most inspired and passionate is like, right, when we can tap into the whole of our being and not be segmenting ourselves into these little chopped up pieces. Right. So I joined personally. You've already connected me with two events that I'll be speaking with, you You know, November and March events in Colorado. I haven't been successful finding things in Colorado until now. So that's what's you know, I, I did look at it as business opportunities, but I was missing a personal piece. So both happened. And these women knew that I was at this difficult place. I was moving. I wasn't sure what to do. And they truly jumped in, in all areas that way. So Elizabeth, you know, is amazing and said, I'm going to help you with this, but you also need to talk to Krista and speak about grief. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm so excited because last year was our first year. We did a grief panel, um, you know, tending to grief panel at She Goes High and it was a suggestion from one of our members that we do something like that and so we we did it and it was such a great experience and it impacted so many people so powerfully because it's just not something that gets talked about a lot and you know again we're we're you're going to be on our grief panel in november at our when we do this again because it really comes up for people around the holidays. I mean, it comes up every day, all the time and any holiday, but I think particularly November and December, some of those holidays, it's like, man, you know, whatever losses we have experienced, even losses that happened a long time ago, really just come to the surface uh, during the holidays. And I just love that you are passionate about the things that matter to me. We started talking about my experience moving here and feeling like I just kept getting doors slammed in my face and mental health isn't valued the same way. And we need to change that all over the world. We need progress everywhere, but it's better in the Midwest. And sometimes I wonder if I'm crazy uh, and you've lived here and you said, oh no, you're not crazy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you know, it was fascinating in that conversation when you were, you were talking about that it isn't this way in the Midwest. 
um, because I did grow up here in Colorado. And so my experience has been primarily based on what you would find here. And I mean, I have been a very vocal advocate of talking about mental health for years. And the conversation was sometimes welcome and sometimes like, but like, let's do it in a quiet or small way. In fact, uh, very early on in my business, I was invited to speak at a mental health focused event called This Is My Brave. There was a show that was put on in Denver and I was invited to speak there. And my business coach at the time advised me not to get up on stage at this event and talk about my own mental health as a new business owner. You know, she she was saying, like, this is going to hurt your business. Don't do it. And I did it anyway, because uh, I can sometimes be a little bit of a rebel, but also just because I felt like it was such an important topic. I don't think it hurt my business to do that. Um, but, you know, that that that's the attitude you're talking about, right? Like the don't get up on stage and talk about mental health. Like that is going to be a really bad thing. And it wasn't the case, fortunately. But, you know, pre-COVID, um, like I said, I got a lot of doors slammed in my face wanting to talk about mental health. They want, you know, as a professional speaker, they would pick one of my other popular topics and not always want mental health. It was very few spaces that wanted to hear my mental health um, presentation. But since COVID, I've seen a pretty significant shift to more and more organizations and events saying, oh, we realize this is needed and this is super relevant to people that are showing up at, at any of our events. And like I like to say in my mental health presentations, you know, got a brain, you have mental health. Like. <laughs> If you have a brain, you have mental health. This is just topic is relevant to every single one of us. And do you know anyone? Then you're going to meet someone. <laughs> who right. Did, right? Like it's, it, uh, and grief is also a part of that. So I was reading today. It is something in this state. It's got to be that it is dictated by the state of Colorado. Dora is the Department of Regulatory Affairs. I made her a person like getting my license here felt like I had never gone to school. They truly made me question my education from the University of Michigan, submitting this and proving that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so today I read this article about the jails and mental health care in the jails. And they passed a law last year that solitary confinement is problematic all over, right? So this is national. This is not, well, where in the world do you think they are behind and not keeping up with the times? Colorado, they have not adhered to whether they're, whatever, in my opinion, the excuses are overpopulation. Was, isn't that in every jail? Um, right? So even, even the places that are supposed to be following mandates resisted, in my opinion, here more than other places. And that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm glad you're sharing this because it, I didn't know that. And, and again, until you and I talked, I didn't realize that it was that different in the Midwest or other parts of the country. And it really inspires me even more to say like, okay, and so what can we do? How can we get involved? How can we start to create change? 
at the legislative level as well as like impacting individuals and all of these different things because it does matter. It right. Does so matter. if you haven't listened to me or followed me, and my dad will now say, oh my God, you've been saying this for your whole life. Like you really have been passionate about changing this and making a difference in the world. But until I moved here, I didn't, I was naive and I didn't realize that it varied by location. So in the Midwest, specifically Michigan, but as far as I know, the Midwest, there are psychologists in the schools. And if there are not psychologists in the schools, when I walked in to introduce myself and just say, if you have students who need someone, here's my name and here's what I do. Not only were they pleased to meet me, we collaborated, we created programs together and things were developed that still exist and are landmark programs. There are no psychologists in the schools here. So there's not even a point of contact for a concerned teacher to say, let's talk. Let's reach out to a parent. And I absolutely wish I would have had that resource growing up here in Colorado. Um, you know, I grew up in poverty. There is a lot of addiction and mental illness that pres is present in my family. And, you know, being this underprivileged student in the schools in Colorado, it was very challenging. Um, it was very difficult for me to try to get access any kind of additional support or resources. Uh, I was really on my own trying to navigate all of the things that were happening at home, as well as, you know, things that might be happening at school. And it was incredibly difficult. And I don't remember growing up. There weren't, yeah, there were not psychologists. There were not people who could help me kind of bridge that gap in any way. It was really just like, you're on your own. You're this underprivileged student and you're, you're on your own trying to navigate all of these challenges and barriers that you're facing. And I have two sisters and neither of them even managed to graduate from high school. I was the only one that graduated from high school. And it was really like the skin of my teeth. I mean, I applied myself so hard, but there were so many barriers and I could have absolutely used some uh, support from the school, um, you know, like I, in movies and TV, you know, they have this whole like guidance counselor thing that you see. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that does, that did not exist uh, for me for any of the schools that I went to in, in the state of Colorado. Um, you know, there were no guidance counselors, there were no counselors of any kind, there was no person who was really there to like, support the students in any way other than like, you're just here to I mean, kind of shut up and learn, right? Um, and and I think that's so unfortunate. And like I said, you know, the impact on my family of that in real time was that I think if my sisters had had some more support, they might have been able to graduate high school. Um, I did it just because I was like incredibly motivated and determined. And I was just like, I'm going to make this happen against all of these these odds right like my book title um, how to believe in yourself against the odds because it's so much about my story of like having to navigate all these different things and i tell some of my stories about uh, my experiences in high school in particular in my book and and some of those barriers that existed and how you know so much of the time we have this idea i think in our country 
that success is the result of hard work. And if you just work hard enough and you have a good attitude, like you can achieve whatever it is that you set your mind to achieve. Um, but that's not really true. Uh, it, it's going to depend on what kind of access to resources you have, what sort of support you have, how stable your environment around you is. Um, and if you don't have a stable environment as a child and there's not support at school, this is why this is the cycle of poverty. This is how people stay impoverished. It's not just about money. It's also just about like, I've lived it, right? Those kids in those situations have so many barriers, so many odds stacked against them. And it is incredibly challenging to overcome those on your own completely without any help. And you hit, you, you said it, it is the burden of the individual here. And in many places, even in places where there, there's more conversation and more access and people don't know what to do or where to start. We're not even teaching or discussing it here. Mm -hmm. So yes, in the schools, I went in and volunteered and did groups. You'd have at least met me. Yeah. You know, these things don't exist here. In the schools, in the state where Columbine happened, I walk in and I'm just like, hi, I'm Sam. Pleased to meet you. I'd love to volunteer thinking that they would just say yes. And it is no after no after no. I will say Northern Colorado is more receptive and open to the conversations. And I was dumbfounded. I was almost not going to bother. Like, why try here? Nowhere else wanted to discuss it. <laughs> um, and thankfully, I just don't give up and figured what's another door if they say no. Oh, well, they're at least open and in northern Colorado they're asking what's it like in Michigan what was your program like let's create something together and I'm going oh my god there's hope like we can start right yeah and and again it's so important and you mentioned you know yeah this is the state where Columbine happened so right not like we need to be having more access to this, not just to avoid these kinds of tragedies, but also to support the students that live through them. Um, and in my high school, my senior year of high school, um, one of my classmates died. And, you know, again, there was zero support or intervention or anything from the school. It was just like, okay, you know, your classmate died. Um, you're, you're on your own and how you're processing and dealing with that. There was, there was nothing, there wasn't even a conversation. There wasn't any kind of even, you know, sometimes again, in TV shows or whatever, there's like a school assembly where, you know, maybe something gets talked about or whatever, nothing like that happened. Um, a classmate of mine died. It wasn't really mentioned. Um, it, yeah, it wasn't acknowledged. There was no, no kind of support. It was just like, yep, this happened. Like this is when my blood boils. This is why. So if you're listening, if you're in a position of power in Colorado and you want to join this conversation and help us make a difference, please, I've been trying for 10 years here. And I feel like unless I go into politics, I'm banging my head against the wall, really, truly. So I do these things. I make noise. I hope someone hears me. I actually hope I piss someone off, quite honestly. And, and they will be like angry enough to discuss it and others will hear but it, you're saying, no, I, I lived here my whole life and 
this is how it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone wants to join the fight, we're working hard. I know others are as well. I know there are teachers in the schools that share this passion. Um, the more of us that speak up and work together, the less others can drown us out. You know, mm -hmm. I know there's, I know it's dictated by somebody bigger um, and you might be fired. I can't be, but um, there's still a way to let them know people are suffering. Like you said, they still have to go back to these schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It I mean, you know, living through, you know, the experience that I went through as a senior losing a classmate, I mean, I can remember, so uh, this particular classmate was a very, was a close friend of mine. And, um, you know, when this, it, when this happened originally, like, you know, I really, my grades slipped, I was really struggling because uh, I had all this stuff going on at home. And then, you know, I lost a close friend and there was such a lack of support. And so I, I was really struggling for that semester. I didn't fail any classes, but, you know, it, it was rough for me. And then I was able to to rally and pick back up the following semester. And I improved so much, you know, I, which tells me how difficult a time I'd been having after my friend passed away. Um, but my chemistry teacher started he nicknamed me the Renaissance woman because I had made such a significant improvement the following semester after this tragedy had happened. But, you know, that semester prior, like I had been struggling so, so much. And um, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I had the ability to pick myself up and improve the following semester. But I mean, I did it on my own. And, and I don't think that's something to be celebrated. Like, I don't feel like, yay, go me. That was awesome. I'm like, no one should have had, to, I shouldn't have had to do that. No one should have to do that as an adult, let alone kids. Right. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. So, so then this is part of the book. Let's talk a little bit about it. Yes. So my book, beautiful badass, how to believe in yourself against the odds. This book was hundred percent inspired by having many, many conversations like the conversation that you and I are having now and recognizing that there is a gap in access to resources and to opportunities and to recognizing that everyone doesn't have the same access. And I feel sometimes like a lot of this motivational or inspirational uh, speakers and books and all of the stuff that's out there it puts forth this really inspirational message, but it doesn't address the gap. It doesn't address people who have less privilege or less accesses to resources. How do you go from where you are to where you can do these things that maybe your favorite motivational speaker is talking about or in your favorite self-help book? Like we're not, we're not even acknowledging that there is a gap. And so that's what inspired me to write the book was to say, you know, we have to start where we are and we have to do what we can. And maybe you can't do anything. Like I, I don't believe that the message you can do anything is actually inspirational. I think it's defeating because it's not true. Any individual can't do anything. We can we can do something. So like, let's focus on what's the something you can do rather than tell people they can do anything. And so I'd had all these different conversations with people, um, when, you know, when I 
every time I would see this happening and I'd be like, ah, oh, this just kind of drives me nuts. Like you were talking about being vocal. You know, I would just be like, this drives me nuts. This drives me nuts. Like, you know, I want there to be an acknowledgement that everyone doesn't have the same access as everyone else. And then I read this study and in this 2017 study, and I think it was, it was published in a parenting magazine and it was around motivation and what motivates people. And they had done this study in schools and they had given all of these students, they'd gathered them together as part of the study and said like, you can do anything you set your mind to. You just need to apply yourself and work hard. And they really expected that this message that they kept reiterating to these students was going to inspire them to do better. What they actually found in the study was that the students who had less privilege started performing worse, not better. And when they were curious about why that was, and they did some follow-up interviews and questionnaires, what they found was when you take students who already have challenges, barriers, obstacles stacked against them, and you tell them you can do anything you set your mind to, you just have to work hard. The thing is, is in practice, those students were not able to get the same results as their peers that had more opportunities. And instead of recognizing the reason they couldn't achieve the same results was because of their circumstances, not because of them as individuals, they didn't recognize that. What they thought instead is they internalized this shame that like, oh, if I can't do it, then something is wrong with me. Like I'm flawed inherently if I can't do this stuff that people are telling me I can do. And I read this study and it just broke my heart. And I thought this, this is exactly the thing that I've been talking about with my colleagues and my friends and really anyone who will listen is that we need to stop telling people you can do anything. You just have to work hard. We need to say, you have to start where you are. You have to do what you can. And each of our life paths are going to look completely different. And there's nothing wrong with you if you're not able to achieve the same success as someone else, or if your path looks really different, or if certain things are difficult for you, for whatever that reason is. I mean, it, they could be difficult for you because of mental health concerns. Maybe you live with mental illness. It could be because you have some kind of disability, right? I mean, uh, you know, we all know logically, if someone is blind, you can't say to that person, you could see if you want to, we'd be like, that's a ridiculous statement. Of course they can't. But yet we treat people as if, you know, other factors in their lives don't matter. Like we can somehow overcome them with just the, the good, a good attitude or hard work. Like, no, we're not all gonna be capable of the same things. Our paths might look different. Um, so, you know, that was what inspired the book is like telling a lot of my story and then encouraging people who are reading it to like, start where you are, do what you can, you can do something, you can do something amazing. And what that thing is for you is going to be different than someone else, but don't buy into the, you know, I'm going to say it bullshit. Don't buy into the, you know, the BS that you can do anything and like, let's stop internalizing shame around things that are outside of our control. I love all of this. And it's also making me think of friends and family members uh, on the out. I have the most compassionate 
person coming to mind who wants everyone to try this because it worked for her mm -hmm. and try this. And not everyone's in that place right now, right? Different people are dealing, like some people are brand new to loss and grief, or some people are really struggling financially right now. You know, so I love that perspective for others who so desperately want to help people struggling and share all the things that worked for them, recognize that people have to be in a different, you know, a certain place to receive those suggestions. Yes. And, yeah. And they have to be able to access the resources that will get them there too. And, and so it's, it's bold. Yes, absolutely. There's a chapter in my book where I, I talk about and then identify some um, well-meaning people that may be in your lives, uh, you know, trying with good intention to support you, but why somehow, you know, sometimes that support is falling short or isn't really all that helpful and so I actually identify what's, you know, this is what that can, can look like so that when you have those people in your lives, again, you don't need to feel like there's something wrong with you. If you try that person's suggestion and it doesn't work for you, it's not because you are flawed. Like maybe you're at a different part in your journey. Maybe you weren't ready for that. Or maybe that's just not the solution that's going to work for you. We're all different. And the solution that works for one person might not work for another um, you know, I, like EMDR is, is, I think, a great example. It's such a fantastic tool and modality to be used, but it doesn't work for everyone. And I'm one of those people that it did not, was not effective for. It didn't work for me. But, you know, I mean, I constantly have people telling me how amazing EMDR is and that I should try it. Um, and, you know, the fact that I tried it and it didn't work for me, like, well, you should try it again. And it's like, or maybe that's just not the, you know, the modality that's going to be most supportive to me. And then, and, you know, of course, in, in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, um, Dr. Vanderkolt talks about how, you know, people with complex trauma, sometimes EMDR does not work. But outside of, you know, this book from this, you know, well-known, you know, psychiatrist, like doctor, uh, you know, people continue to say, like, push, EMDR, EMDR, you really need to try it. You should try it again. And I'm like, it just doesn't work for everyone. And I'm one of the people it doesn't work for. So I'm not going to feel shame about that. There's nothing wrong with me. It's just not the tool for me. There's so much noise in this world. People have so much to say about anything. I constantly talk about tuning out that noise and not letting it drown out your own voice and your own path. Yes. Yes. Thank you for also talking about this, right? In your own way, but like, you know, saying this to give people permission to be different, to give people permission to find something that does work for them instead of beating their head against a wall, trying something that isn't working over and over and over again, because well-meaning individuals around them are like, you just got to keep at it. You just got to keep at it. I mean, there's a point that that doesn't make sense anymore, right? Let Even let's go to learning, right? We were on a call yesterday and a few of us were saying, I don't do so great with online classes, right? You know, I mean, teachers adapt the way they teach to students, hopefully, right? But it's not up to students to all learn the same way. It's just not humanly possible. Mm -hmm. 
everyone's unique. So it's, it, it is easy to fall into all of this little circle over here is doing it this one way. What's wrong with me? Not a thing, not a thing. You know, if, if something doesn't work for you, go a different way. Your path can zig and zag and we don't even all have to end up at the same place. Yes. Yes. Do you work with people outside of Colorado? If people listening right now are like, oh my God, I've been looking for a coach. She's amazing. Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I have had clients all across the United States. Um, you know, we're just meeting usually on Zoom rather than in person. Most of my local clients do come into my office here in person. But I, I do career and business coaching with people all over, you know, and, and it's interesting to me because the type of people that I tend to work with or who are drawn to me and my message, you know, they're really like, it, you know, said in my bio, they're those usually I'm working with women and they're those women who are classic overgivers and they just get upside down in professional situations over and over again. And they have so much amazing value that they are giving all of the time, but because of the patterns of overgiving and a lack of professional boundaries, uh, you know, their impact gets less and less over time and their pay. It's amazing to me how, I can increase a client's income by working on boundaries, not, you know, you would think, oh, the way to do that is working around on like sales conversations or lead generation or working on, you know, how do I negotiate a raise with my boss? And for the clients that are the best fit for me, it's like, no, it's actually about boundaries. And that if you work on your boundaries at work, People are just going to naturally pay you more. It's fascinating how, how easy that can be. And it's like, no, you just work on boundaries and valuing yourself more because that's a piece of what boundaries are, is like valuing myself enough to say, I'm going to set these boundaries. And so the more we show up in our own value, the more we value ourselves, the more other people value us as well. And so that's, it's just, it's an amazing transformation to watch happen with my clients is like, oh, they can step out of these patterns of overgiving and they can start creating some boundaries and giving themselves permission to live in their worth and show up in their worth in, in a bigger way. Like I don't have to say yes to every request and I don't have to always be available all of the time. And I do enough, right? Like I say that to people a lot, like you do enough and you are enough. So, you know, working with me is never about, okay, let's add to your plate more. It's like, no, you usually, I'm talking to clients about less, like let's give less of yourself, do less, give less to your clients, give less to your boss, your coworkers, you know, whatever all those different scenarios are. And like, that's actually how we're gonna get that done. I love that. And I also always work on boundaries. And it's so funny. Oftentimes clients will come back and say, um, my boss is finally, they're, they're getting it now. They're, they're finally not treating me this way. And I'm like, oh, they didn't do anything. You did all the work. But it's even difficult for people to recognize that they set the boundary and accept the credit. Yes. Oh, yes. That whole accepting credit. I gave a talk uh, to an employee resource group on Monday, and it's my imposter syndrome talk, which is one of my favorite presentations to give 
And, you know, in it, I talk about one of the ways we can interact differently with imposter syndrome is to stop playing the game that I like to call compliment dodgeball. Uh, and I do write about compliment dodgeball in my book as well. But so many of us play this game that I call compliment dodgeball, where like we are getting positive feedback from others and we're just like, nope. Nope, I'm like, I'm not going to let that stick. I'm not going to let it hit me. I'm not going to take it in in any way. I'm going to keep deflecting. I'm not going to own the things that I'm good at. I'm not going to claim that. And when we can start to do that, when we can start to shift that dynamic and really hear when someone has something positive to say about us, we start to believe more in ourselves as well so many different kinds of talks if people listening book speakers what type of it sounds like you have a variety yes i do so my top three most requested talks is um the imposter syndrome burnout is another one that i talk about we have a lot of fun talking about boundaries in that talk and then mental health um, in the workplace is the other one. And so those are the three that I get most often requested and really enjoy coming into organizations and speaking on this topic, really helping the employees be feel more empowered and have more ways to engage differently so that they're like, you know, they enjoy being at work more. They enjoy living their lives more. They just enjoy themselves more. Yeah, I, so many people call me from a bathroom stall or from their car at lunch because they don't feel like they can be upset or have an off day at the workplace. So I love that there are places allowing you in to have those talks. Yes. I mean, lately I've been doing tons of employee resource groups, um, which is fantastic because these employee resource groups exist in a lot of organizations and they're usually around some kind of marginalized identity like women's leadership employee resource group you know, LGBTQ employee resource group, a disability related resource group. And I really just think it's amazing. These organizations that are saying we need to create spaces where these people can come together and be resourced and be empowered. And then they can like hire me to come in and be part of that process. Like that's, that's amazing. I love to see that happening. Now, do you also do that virtually or outside of Colorado or is that only local? I do both. Um, sometimes it's virtual. Sometimes it's in person. I also travel to do speaking as well. So all across the board, the presentation I gave to the employee resource group on Monday was virtual. The one I did before that was in Denver in person. So yeah, all of the above. That drive. Whew. Anything else I'm not asking you want people listening to know? I said this before, and I want to say it again, because I feel like this is a really important message that all of us can benefit from hearing regularly. And that is you do enough and you are enough. So if you've listened to this today and you take nothing else away from it, I hope that you will take that away from it and start to, if you're going to internalize any kind of message, I hope it's that one. I hope you're internalizing this message of like, I do enough. I am enough. I think that's such a great starting point for so much growth. And, um, you know, and, and I try to put that message out there in so many ways. I've got my book, you know, that's an easy entry point for a lot of people. I've got the speaking that I do. Uh, I've got She Goes High. You know, we reiterate that message a lot as She Goes High. 
Um, so that's, that's what I want to bring it back to, right? You do enough and you are enough. I'm adding you do enough to my, I love that. How we do need to hear that. How many people are doing too much, like you said, and need to do less. Uh, so I love, I'm adding that. Yes, please, please steal it. Yeah. It's that I, I like to say how it shows up for me when I sometimes slip into the the internal feeling of it's not enough is it's the let me just if I hear myself saying that or I'm thinking it in my mind, let me just let me just let me just that's usually my indication that I have shifted into like my own overgiving pattern of like I have to keep producing. I have to keep giving. I have to keep. And it's like, no, it's enough. Love that. And since I have been asking my audiences to vote in the best of Northern Colorado, She Goes High is also yes. in networking groups. What category? It's under recreation and entertainment. So in the NOCO style best of awards, you can vote for She Goes High as best networking group under recreation and entertainment. So please do that when you're going in to vote for Grief have and the Be Ruthless show, even if you don't know, do it for me. It's amazing. I truly, in a short period of time, have friends, have a social life out here. Um, and and people who know I've been like this, this is this is like my Kate here. I have somebody who has kind of been my connector uh for the last few years, and all things point back there. And I'm like, nope, this is through Krista. <laughs> this is through Krista. <laughs> Again, thank you. I'm so glad that has been your experience because that is absolutely in the intent and why I do this. And, um, you know, I created She Goes High, not as like a business plan, but because it was something I wanted. I wanted for myself and I wanted to create for others. And I was just thrilled that it, it found the success that it did. And, and that's why I keep doing it is because I want it to be that for you and for people like you. It is. And I love it. And so if you're in the area and you haven't joined, please check us out. Mm -hmm. um, you are enough. You do enough. Thank you so much for making time. What's your website or how do people find you to connect? Yes, I do have a website. It's liveandlovework.com. Uh, my business is Live Love Work, my primary business. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Please do that as well. Krista Berry, you know, my name is spelled out right here for you. So, yeah, I, I do hope the people listening will connect, especially if you've heard something that you're just like, ooh, that really resonated with me because I put myself out there every day. And maybe you can relate to this too, Sam. You know, I'm very vocal. I, I say things that are kind of confronting to the status quo a lot. And I put myself out there so much. And it is just amazing when I get to hear back from people that that mattered to them because it's not easy to do to put yourself out there constantly and to be confronting the status quo, to be saying things that people aren't really talking about. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of energy to be the person putting that out there. And so when people reach out to me and just even acknowledge, like, I heard that, I felt that, um, that moved me is a beautiful, beautiful gift that I super appreciate. And I think it's rare anywhere, but again, here in Colorado, I feel like it's even more rare and it needs to be 
celebrated and I do hope media or somebody like I, I want to anger someone so they pay attention and say, wow, maybe there's a problem here. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is because there is a problem. Yeah. Sam's so not crazy. It's not just her imagination. She's not just pro-Michigan because I'm really not. I'm pro-Colorado. This is the one thing I say. It's the only thing I'll say Michigan has better. Um, so thank you so, so much for being so real, so raw. Live, love, and work. Yeah, the website is liveandlovework. Liveandlovework.com. Yeah. I will put it all in the notes and the comments. Until next time, everyone, always be ruthless. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hab community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week.